You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky. Welcome on in to BGN Radio, episode 83. I'm Brandon Lee Gowton from Bleeding Green Nation here with you. As always, I am joined by my co-host here on BGN Radio to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles uh, on your favorite Eagles podcast, which you should definitely rate, review, subscribe, all those good things. I am here with Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice. Jimmy, how's it going? Brandon, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, Jimmy. Um, it's it's a very interesting spot that we're in in the sense of like how much has changed <laughs> from the yeah. last time uh, we did a podcast it's together. The NFL for you. Last week when the Eagles were one and two staring one and three in the face and it looked like with teddy bridgewater starting that the cowboys might even be able to jump out to four and oh but those things did not happen uh the eagles went into green bay as i predicted i will, I will pat myself on the back for that and and somehow win even though it didn't necessarily make a ton of sense uh when you were looking into that matchup going in or just the feeling uh of how people were feeling not so great against the team so i guess that's kind of where we are like just kind of looking at the eagles outlook right now jimmy how are you how much much did last week's win over the packers and if you want to include you know the cowboys uh losing in there i think that's definitely relevant of course like what's the outlook now yeah i mean had dallas won and the eagles lost as you know vegas and everyone else kind of expected or at least that was probably the uh the most likely outcome the division is, I don't want to say it's wrapped up after week four, but they're in a huge position of power after just the first quarter of the season being three games up on the only real other contender in that division because I guess the Giants are two and two, but hmm. I mean, who's taking them seriously? Making up that ground, it's like kind of a season long uh, venture at that point because you're, n- you're not catching them anytime soon. And now the difference between 4 and 0 versus 1 and 3 and 3 and 1 versus 2 and 2 is just enormous so this was a huge week for the eagles and not only dallas too by the way but the rams lose uh who else lost in the nfc that was sort of worthwhile well the packers obviously i mean this doesn't really matter because i don't think they're any good anyway but the falcons hold a tiebreaker over them so they lose Mm -hmm. it's kind of a bad week for you know sort of the top the quote-unquote top nfc i'm sorry the nfc teams the eagles aside really the perfect week for the eagles football outsiders their playoff odds the eagles uh chances went up 21 percent, basically which is you know a a pretty big swing Yeah. yeah just from one week one week in week four by the way huge win the thing that gets me, or the, the stat that I can't get over and I keep like coming back to, is how Aaron Rodgers is 58-0-1 at home when leading by 10 points at any point in the game. Yeah. And he was up 10 points against the Eagles in Green Bay last week. I, I brought this up to you, Jimmy, last week. I, I had brought up like the back-against-the-wall th- uh, back thing with this team. Like They respond. Like They, have, they are a resilient bunch. I think some of their resiliency 
is because they shoot their, themselves in the foot too much. Like, I think it'd be nice if oh, they didn't have to be. Oh, it's self for sure. It, it, yeah, it would be great if they didn't have to be so resilient, but they are resilient. Um, you can't say they just, they fold easily. Um, and 100%. Kind of, we talked about it last week where, you know, last year they head into that week 15 matchup. Carson Wentz has the broken bone in his back. We didn't know the extent of his injury at the time, mm-hmm. uh, if I recall. And they're at least double-digit underdogs. I think it was closer to two touchdown underdogs heading into L.A. that week. And they go out and they, you know, pull a win out of their butt. <laughs> I don't think it's really the same thing this year. You know, it wasn't like, a, you know, sort of a defeated franchise at that point, you know, at this point heading into week four. But I think certainly most people were picking the Packers to win that game. And they come away with a huge win, not only on the road, but and, and not only in Lambeau against Aaron Rodgers, but on the short week heading, you know, on, on a Thursday game. Really, a, really a big deal. To, to be able to do that against a good team. And they've done it in the past. They did it in 2017 uh, against Carolina when uh, you know Carolina was a better team than they are now. Obviously, the Eagles were kind of rolling at that point in the season that year. But you're right. I mean, the, the resiliency that, that this team has showed is impressive. And I think they've kind of earned, I guess, quote unquote, back off a little bit You know, when things aren't going well sometimes because they do tend to turn it around. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something you can give Doug Peterson credit for, too. I feel like his players always play hard for him. For him. They don't just quit or fold or give up on him. One of the reasons the Eagles were able to beat the Packers, Jimmy, as you highlighted on Philly Voice this week, is because Dallas Goddard had a pretty big impact in this game. At the same time, Nelson Aguilar, who was killing this team, and we talked about that last week, just entirely coincidentally had one target and no receptions against the Packers. Hmm. Amazing how the Eagles were better uh, without going to him so much. And he played a lot of snaps. He played over 70 snaps, if I recall. I think he played the most snaps of any skill player, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. And and I I think he had one more than Alshon. And Mm -hmm. Alshon, clearly not 100%. And what did he get, like eight targets? Yeah, they were throwing to him quite or, a bit. Or ten even? I, I don't know. He only had three catches, if, if, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah. uh, they, they threw to him a lot, and Kevin King was all over him all night. And I think that's maybe the only thing that I would uh, point out in terms of the, the idea that Carson Wentz has lost faith in Nelson Aguilar, or they weren't going his way on purpose, is that... He pro- and I gotta go. This is totally anecdotal, and I probably shouldn't even be talking about it without having looked. But my sense is that he probably saw a lot of Jair Alexander in that game. There are better matchups to to attack than than that, of course. I think it's fine to say things on the podcast. Like, see, that's that's <laughs> that's one thing that I always like that gets me about radio. I feel like radio guys can like say anything, yeah, the, right. and it can be completely wrong. <laughs> right. And if they say it, like it's fine because like no one's gonna like take a clip of that it's a and, fart like, in the wind it's just gone yeah right it's gone whereas like if you you know like make a typo like it's just someone's gonna screenshot yes, that and yeah. they're just gonna blast you about four, it five months later and there, it's not like someone like says something and they're <laughs> i mean someone might call up uh into the station and correct you but whatever like it right. passes or as opposed to like there's like a, someone leaves a comment and then a bunch of other people are commenting so uh just a quick <laughs> aside there that i think us writers have it have it much harder but now that we're on a podcast. In feel the bad for us, please. Thank you. Yes, please feel bad for us. But also we can just say anything we want and there are no consequences at all. Literally. I, I still like to preface when I, you know, don't when I don't know for sure. I still like to preface. I will That's fair. and I will continue to do that. So for the running back rotation, obviously that was another big well, the running backs in general, the offensive line, I mean, they just kicked butt. Uh, in this game, offensive line's awesome. Vintage Eagles offensive line performance where they just they just dominated the other team. They they were just like they were the better team. 
that that's how the Eagles want to win. They they want to build in the trenches. They want to dominate it, that in that way. And the Eagles um, were able to take advantage of a bad Packers run defense, a good defense overall, but a bad Packers run defense. Uh, it was impressive. What did you make of the running game in this game, Jimmy? And specifically as it relates to the playing time for Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, like how, how should that be handled moving forward? I do like the, the way they complement each other in terms of theoretically, that is in terms of their skill sets where Miles Sanders is sort of more of the explosive guy has more speed certainly than than Jordan Howard whereas Jordan Howard is the kind of guy that if there's a hole there he's going to hit it and he's he's going to take at least everything that's there he might not get you a, a lot more than that but he's going to run through contact and he's going to quote unquote fall forward and whatnot and blah 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 he's kind of your bigger guy and I think they kind of complement each other well and I, I didn't uh, totally dive into this but I know that um, your colleague there at, at at BGN Michael Kist wrote an article about. Uh, Sanders and, and Jordan Howard, and I know that the analytics people that have taken a look at Miles Sanders and what he's done in, in his carries, it's not pretty. Why don't you run mm-hmm. through some of uh, you know what uh, you know some of those analytics people are talking about him? Yeah, all those, all those nerd stats, basically. <laughs> some of, you know what some of them are nerd stats, and some of them are like so like Pro Football Focus. I don't like the way they'll just arbitrarily assign a number grade to, to a player. Right. I think the things that are very the kind of stats that that are put out that are kind of very easy to uh, determine, and they're not subjective. They're a little bit more objective, like, you know, yards after contact, for for example. It's pretty easy to see yeah. when the first guy contacts him. You can see how many yards he gets after that. Those kind of stats are good. So I, obviously a lot of that stuff is valuable that these guys are putting out. But go ahead, run run through with, uh, you know, what, what they're kind of saying about Miles. Yeah, I mean, this is from Football Outsiders. Like, he ranks uh, 34th out of 36th in DR. Uh, you can look it up all these stats on footballoutsiders.com for more context. I know these are just a bunch of letters. Like, what the heck is DR and what the heck is DVOA? <laughs> um, and but even something like success I think, rate. I think, I think our listeners know what that stuff is. That's fair. I think some do. Some might not. Uh, some newer listeners, maybe. Uh, success rate: 26 out of 36. Broken percentage of attempted tackles. Uh, Miles Sanders is only 24th out of 36. And you even saw this in the game. Like, That's a little, I, I, that one's a little more subjective, but, <laughs> but continue. Yeah. But, I mean, just looking at, even putting those aside and just looking back at the game, like that one play where Miles Sanders had that huge run into space, and I think it was like Darnell Savage was the only guy left. Yes. Like, don't, don't you want to see him make a miss? Like, it felt like he just runs, like, right into him. It's yes. Like, make a miss. Like, make that move, and maybe you're going to get caught from behind. Okay, but more down the field. Like, that's the point being with Miles Sanders and all these numbers and everything. And even the first play of the game, the first play of the game, he has a huge hole. Yeah, left a lot like of meat a, on the bone there. That, that is exactly, that's the phrase I was going to use. Like, I just think he's not looking god-awful, like, in a vacuum. You look at his, you know, yards per carry and whatnot. But I think when you're talking about opportunity costs, like, I think he could be better. And yes. he's, you know, he's a rookie. I'm not saying, like, this is the end of his career. He'll never get better. He can't improve as the season is going on. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Kist is saying. I just think, like, he still has some... I mean, the, the the title of this article is literally Miles Sanders has a long way to go. That's yeah. the point. Like, he has a lot of work to do uh, moving forward. And I think when you're looking at that in the context of this running back situation, like, I've, I've really liked what I've seen out of Jordan Howard. Going into the season, Jimmy, I know you were you were talking about how, like, you should just give it to Sanders. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he should be the guy. I was kind of more of the mind that, like... That was wrong, Howard, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> this is why I'm bringing it up, just to embarrass you. Um, <laughs> I was of the mind that 
like Howard's going to have a role, and he should early in the season. And like I think Miles can kind of play his way into more playing time, whereas like uh, Howard's the more de facto option. And but I think moving forward, I think it should be kind of how it, how it has been, kind of a 50-50 split. But I think right now, like, I think you want to see, and this could change depending on the matchup. Like, I think you want to see more Howard. Um, I think he's he's played well. And one thing that really stands out about him to me is that, and you kind of said it, like you kind of uh, threw it aside, or kind of just like, you know, how he falls forward. But I mean, that's true. Like he does not take negative runs. Like, yeah. He is always gaining positive yardage. And it's just nice to see that. Um, so I definitely think for as much as this running back rotation is always going to be a rotation and they're going to split playing time, I definitely think Howard should kind of get a little bit more of the workload if you're kind of going to favor it uh, one way. He's caught the ball better than I was expecting too. Yeah. The catch and run that he made against Green Bay on the wheel route. Everyone, every running back in the league should make that play, obviously. But, you know, we've seen in the past where guys like Ryan, Ryan Matthews <laughs> would like drop passes like that. And, you know, he's making the plays that he should make. But he also had, like, a nice catch. I believe it was week one. Yeah, he, he leaked it off out the ground, the, right? Yeah, he leaked out into the flat, and it was a bad throw. And it should have been incomplete. You, it's a, It was a pass you wouldn't expect him to make, or a pass you wouldn't expect him to catch. And, it, I mean, it was, like, an inch or two off the ground. He grabbed it, and, I mean, it was a minimal gain. Was, you can easily miss that play. But, he, you know, he's, he's, he's done well catching the ball. I mean, from my perspective, you know, when I look at that, that running back rotation – I still think you give the ball to Miles Sanders. Like you don't, you're not going to like just let him waste away on the bench because that's a guy who you want to be good by the end of the season. So I think you got to keep giving him opportunities, and he's going to work through it. And I think the Eagles think of him as as a guy that has a lot of skill and can be a very good player. So I don't think you just want to let him collect dust. I think you keep giving him the ball. But you're right, you got to have Jordan Howard in there more because he's the guy that is producing more than anyone else right now and that's that's where i'm at with it too i I definitely don't want to just never see sanders but i definitely think you know if you're if you're leaning on a guy a little bit more it might be howard just especially right now it can't be the situation where like it was like week one right (laughs) he only got like a couple touches and like darren sproles all the like meanwhile is getting like a ton of touches like it shouldn't be like that um and i don't think it will be let's move on to uh biggest concerns moving forward yeah i think what could that be i think there (laughs) well i think there are two okay and they're kind of hand in hand. And it's the pass rush and the secondary. Mm-hmm. Let's do pass rush first because there's more to talk about with the secondary, I think. The pass okay. rush is pretty cut and dry. I mean, they just, they just got to do a better job getting the quarterback. I mean, I don't know what more analysis we need than that. How do you think they did against the Packers? Because I felt like they, they kind of showed. Yeah, they were better. They were better. I think Rodgers being as like elusive and smart and as slippery as he is kind of like made that pass rush not look as good. But I mean, they made a huge play. I mean, a gigantic play. Like that Derek Barnett strip sack is huge. Yes. It's gigantic. That, um, in fairness, and I don't mean to, you know, kind of, you know, crap on the play that he made, but they have a tight end coming across the yeah. formation to try to block him. It was a similar kind of play that they that he made against the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. Yes. And that tight end didn't, the tight end, the Packers tight end, and the Vikings tight end for that matter, did really kind of a terrible job trying to block him. Credit yeah. Barnett for, you know, making the play that he should make and also credit him for getting the ball out. Instead of yeah. just settling for the sack. So he did a good job there. Forced the fumble. Eagles recover it. I believe they scored a touchdown on the ensuing drive. Yes. Um, so give them credit for that. But they're not winning their one-on-one matchups against offensive linemen. The one guy who really was winning uh, matchups later in that game was Brandon Graham. And mm-hmm. that was really kind of a product of Brian Bulaga getting hurt. And they had to put in a their backup tackle who stunk. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. like that guy was really bad. And Brandon Graham was eating him up. 
So far on the season, the Eagles have three sacks. That's the worst in the NFL. Four or five other teams that have five sacks, I believe. The Eagles have three, and that's the worst in the NFL. And I don't think anyone would have foreseen that. I mean, I think we all kind of recognize that the off the defensive line was concerned and that it might not be as good as they were a year ago and certainly not as good as they were in 2017. But I don't think anyone would have predicted that they'd be last in the NFL in sacks after the first four weeks. Yeah, that's that's bad. Um, it's not good. <laughs> right. Interesting stat here. Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders tweeted out this week. The Eagles are actually sixth in pressure rate, according to Sports Info Solutions. Ew. And yet they are somehow dead last in adjusted sack rate. Mm. So How does that compute? <laughs> I, I, it's, it's really weird. I think so. I feel like one of the things has to be that the coverage just isn't good enough. And that gets us into the second biggest concern here uh, that you mentioned. The this secondary, secondary. It's not only is, that they're not uh, playing well, which and they're not, but they're yeah. also now minus those players that weren't playing well. So Ronald Darby dealing with a hamstring injury, probably going to be out, definitely out this week. Um, Avante Maddox injured by Andrew Sandejo, <laughs> who I'm sure we'll be talking about that at some yeah. point. Later, uh, and then uh, Sidney Jones, who once again, I know you're shocked. Sidney Jones hurt once again. Um, guy who played only like 27% of his possible games going into this year is hurt once again with another soft tissue injury. And of course, Jalen Mills, who started the season on pup and remains Jalen Mills on pup. Uh, Strap is on IR. IR, yep. So some of that's just bad luck too. Like I mean, you're, for the five of their top six corners are already down for like the second year in a row too. Yeah. I mean, they were they were starting Chandon Sullivan at one point last year. I, I do Giants. think Sydney plays this week. Yeah, it they only seems have that way. they only have three other corners on the roster right now that are healthy. Right, and, and then they, they added, any practice um, today it was limited. By today, we're recording this on Wednesday, just so you know. Right, but he practiced on Wednesday. Uh, limited, but he practiced. And you know, if they if he weren't going to play, or the Eagles didn't think he was going to play, they'd have added another corner by now. I guess they can call a guy up at any time from the practice squad, right? But, and, and when they do that, obviously that'll be the clear indication that he's not going to play. But he's, I think Sydney's going to play. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think they added um, what was his name, Ryan <laughs> DJ White. A-, a Gene Harris is who they got rid of. RJ DJ White and Ryan Lewis were the two corners they had, and both of those guys have like a little bit of NFL playing experience. I think that was kind of a, an effort uh, to get those guys. I think they only call one of those guys up if like Sydney has a setback yeah. or something and he, he can't play. And, of course, they brought uh, Orlando Skandrick back as well. Yes. Uh, very crucial. And honestly, what? Well, yeah, he's going to start. Slot, right? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's going to be your starting slot corner. I, oh, I would imagine God. it'll be Razul and Sydney on the outside and Skandrick's going to play in your slot. This secondary, what can the Eagles do to fix it, Jimmy? Is there a trade out there? We heard <laughs> uh, on my Tuesday evening here, Chris Mortensen had said, that the Eagles are still uh, highly, highly interested. That's a direct Hot and heavy. quote in Jalen Ramsey. They offered reportedly a first-round pick and a second-round pick to the Jaguars, who said no thanks. Yeah, okay. It's kind of sound like the Ramsey thing isn't going to happen in the sense of like now. Schefter was on ninety-seven-five this morning and said like he doesn't think the Jags are going to move on from Ramsey. Um, Adam Kaplan said something similar. It seems like. Like that might not be happening. It's it's time for the Eagles to start floating that uh, they're super interested in. Like Chris Harris or something. <laughs> Get that price back down. How do you like a Chris Harris? Like, I like Chris Harris. Yeah, so do I. I Quality kinda... player. And you know what I think the Eagles would also like about him? Is his What's versatility. That? Yeah. He's got that inside-outside versatility. Also, the cost, I think, would be pretty reasonable. And you know, he's old, so I know how he loves him. 
He's an old guy, how he would love him. <laughs> uh, the Broncos are 0-4, so they have every reason to start selling some pieces there. And it's his last, um, he's, on, he's, he's in a contract year. And uh, the rest of that division is tough, so it's not like they're just going to be able to come back and win in the AFC Oh, they're done. Yeah, they're already yeah. done. They're, I mean, the Chiefs are... Chiefs, did the Chiefs have a loss? Uh, no. Lost yet. Yeah, all right. So they're already done in the division. They're, they're down 4-0. The Raiders and Chargers have multiple wins. Uh, not looking good for the Broncos. And yeah, I think Chris Harris would make a lot of sense in terms of uh, like a rental because, you know, you don't want to be giving up a third round pick for him. But I mean, that's probably what it would cost. I mean, yeah. who would you rather have? Golden Tate at the trade deadline last year or Chris Harris at the trade that deadline this year? I think they just need... <laughs> I mean, that's hard to do because, like, the Eagles were in such a bad spot at receiver last year. Well, they're in a bad spot at corner, too. Well, and I and I know I have the benefit of hindsight knowing how bad Tate was. But, no, but we, I think we all knew how bad that trade was immediately. I didn't like You didn't it. like that trade, right? If they, it was a fourth, I think it would have been more, like, okay, yeah. amenable to it. I think the third was just, like, that would have been a deal breaker for me. I think that's a big difference. So you could trade for Chris Harris in whatever. I, I, I think a third would be too much. I think you're looking at a fourth for him, right? In terms of what if you're trying to give up if you're the Eagles. Are you giving up a third for Chris Harris? Uh, ideally, I wouldn't want to. What they do, what they, okay, so what they do have is they have that third round comp pick for yes. Foles. Maybe you justify that. I mean, it's, it's after, so the comp picks occur for uh those of you not totally up to speed on the comp pick world they uh th- those picks are made after the round in which uh you know, they're labeled so a third round comp pick that, that the comp picks happen after the third round is essentially over i guess after the first 32 picks if they labeled them differently you could call them a fourth round pick we're just going to mm-hmm. get the semantics here i guess but would you basically give up a third slash fourth round pick, whatever you want to call it for Chris Harris. I think third is tough. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I think fourth is, it's still, is where the... It's still pretty uh, pricey. But he's good. He's a good player. He is good. He's also that, tweeting, you, by the way, that he can't wait to get out of there. I think fourth is the right value. And obviously, uh, if you don't re-sign him, then you could try to get a comp pick if he signs somewhere in free agency. So you would recoup some of that value. Last name that you wanted to bring up here, uh, yeah. Jimmy. Not in the secondary, on the defensive line, Geno Atkins. Yeah. Jason Lockenford had put something out about him being a trade bait possibility because the Bengals are done too clearly. Did you watch that game, by the way? I did. They, oh, my God. They might be they, as, they might be as bad as Miami. I, I would really hate to root for a team that had orange and black as their main colors <laughs> and was perpetually just really mediocre and bad. I just That would be really bad. I have a hot take here. All right, let's see. Okay, it. no, I don't like their uniforms Monday night. They're bad. But generally speaking, I kind of like their uniforms. I don't hate them. I think orange and black are good colors, despite the. the oh, fact I thought that the I thought you said you did. I thought you were saying that you didn't like them. No, I was just kind of making a Flyers reference. Here. Oh, I was just saying that, like it would be whoosh again. Yeah, it would suck <laughs> to uh, root for a team like that was as as just frustrating and so unsuccessful in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, but the Flyers aren't on the Bengals level in terms of inept, in, in, ineptitude. Not quite, but pretty frustrating. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. so no so no Geno Atkins. Yes, Geno Atkins. I think Geno Atkins is still a good player, and you put him next to old version of. <laughs> Fletcher Cox, and that is a nasty duo on the interior. And they need help there. I mean, and we'll take a little, let's let's, let's actually take a minute to discuss Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox is not the Fletcher Cox that we've come to know. Not even close. That's a big reason for, it's not just the edge rushers that aren't getting to the quarterback. It trickles down from him. I don't think he's, he's not, he's, I mean, he's clearly not a hundred percent and he's not, he's not the same player that he was. I think that kind of hurts the, first of all, the defensive tackle next to him, whoever that is, or the edge rusher next to him on the interior on obvious passing downs. And then 
you know, the edge rushers are getting maybe more attention or they're getting chipped uh, more so than they would if Fletcher Cox were balling out the way that he normally would be otherwise. So I think there's a big trickle-down effect on when he's not the same player that he is. And you put another guy like Geno Atkins next to him, you know, maybe you cut down on the doubles that he's getting and that kind of jump starts his play. Maybe if their teams are still insistent on doubling Fletcher Cox, then a guy like Geno Atkins is going to make them pay being next to him. Problem with Geno Atkins is, again, the age thing. He's 31 years old. Mm -hmm. You don't want to keep trading these draft picks for older guys you're going to have for a year or two. Because at some point your roster, I mean, we we already talked about this in previous episodes too, but your roster eventually is going to get to the point where it's really old and you really run the risk of having to have a total rebuild after only, you know, two, three, four years of of serious contention. I think the Eagles want to contend for a decade as opposed to just three or four years. So you got to be careful about that. But at the same time, I mean, he really does help you in the short term if you can get him. To, to your Cox point, Jimmy, zero stats in the Lions game. Like, did not record a single stat. I know like that doesn't necessarily mean everything, but that's not uh, It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that is like your, arguably your top talent overall yeah. on the team. You want him doing something. Nothing. Yeah, that's, that's horrible. So um, for as much criticism as Carson Wentz might get in that loss or something, like, again, like Fletcher Cox doing literally nothing in that game. Uh, it's a big problem. And he wasn't listed on the injury report, really, I think, for the first time all season. This Today, Wednesday, uh, maybe the, the layoff helped him a little bit. We will see. The Eagles would certainly hope so and, and need that. But um, I think that just about does it for our takeaways. We will take a break here, and then we're going to get back into a report card for the Eagles grading the units on the offense, on the defense. Uh, Doug Peterson, <laughs> Jim Schwartz, Howie Roseman. We will be back after this. Back after this. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We're back here on BGN Radio episode number 83. Brandon Lee Gowton here with Jimmy Kemsky getting into a report card for the Eagles. It's a quarter way through the season, so why not? Do the cliche thing. Our arbitrary report cards. Bring them on. Yeah, these grades matter. Uh, Players in the locker room are talking about these. Uh, Doug Peterson is definitely putting a lot of weight into this. Jeffrey Lurie is probably – who is listening to the podcast right now, by the way. Howie Roseman's got his pen out right now, and he's ready to – He's grading our grades. Exactly. (laughs) Or he's using our grades to grade his roster. Uh, Yes. So we'll start with the offense and start with the obvious position – that is fullback, Jimmy. How do you know? Um, <laughs> well, they do have a fullback. They do, Alex Ellis. Yeah, and they're like, well, he's, he's he was in some snaps for uh, kneel downs, but mm-hmm. otherwise, 
every snap he's played this year has resulted in a touchdown, I believe. Well, what does that say? Get him on the field. He should play every snap and they'll have a touchdown <laughs> on every play. Idiots. Uh, <laughs> uh, quarterback. B plus. As a whole, it's basically Carson Wentz. Okay, B pl- interesting. Yeah, B plus. I think he's been good. I would go A minus. How are we grading this, by the way? Let's, let's set some ground rules. Are we grading on, you know, just what, like, we don't know anything about the players we're just like before the season begins. Like we're aliens. We drop down on the earth. We have no okay. idea of players' histories. And we're just grading them on what they've done so far this season with no regard whatsoever to expectations. Is that how we're doing it? Or are we grading on a curve on expectations? I think it's up to you. I think there's there's no rules here, Jimmy. We, we make up the rules. Why don't we just do it both ways then? Well, we won't give okay. two separate grades, but we'll kind of talk, you know, how they've been and you know, how that relates to expectations. Let's do it that way. Why, why would you give Carson a B plus? Oh, he's been good. Well, he's made some really nice plays. Like the play that he made in Atlanta where he's fallen to the ground and he hits mm. uh, Mac, was it? Yeah. That's an amazing play. On fourth down, yeah. There's been some of that this year that we didn't see as much of uh, last year. 2017, he was a human highlight film. Not so much early on the season, though. No. Well, yeah. did, was it? He wasn't not not like you're thinking. I mean, it started to come on in the the Panthers game. No, that was he, like when the no, MVP he had some nice plays early. Like that week, sure. week one where he's running around in the pocket, he escapes like three different guys, and then he hits Aguilar way down the field, and Aguilar scores. I think it was the they first touchdown of the year. They were there, but his numbers weren't like amazing MVP quite like hype numbers through the first four. What I'm talking about are like highlight real plays. Okay. Where he makes a play and you just go, wow, that was awesome. Yeah. He had not many of those at all last year. Mm-hmm. They were in overabundance in 2017. Yeah. This year we're starting to see them come back a little bit. Like that play yep. against Atlanta that I mentioned. I mean, how many players, how many how many quarterbacks in the league make that play? None. <laughs> right? So like, I don't know. Rodgers maybe? There's a few that, 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 can, that are capable of that. But I mean. Mahomes. He, he shows that he's got elite skills when he's making that kind of play. So I think we've seen some of that come back. I think he's done a good job of not really making many mistakes. Mm-hmm. He had a rough first half against Atlanta. In a very anomaly of a situation. So maybe you forgive that first half a little bit based on those factors. But that half aside, he really hasn't made many mistakes. Mm-hmm. You take that into account, and then you take into account that he had a monster second half coming back from that bad first half in Atlanta. He played really well, in my opinion, against Detroit. They didn't, they didn't win that game, obviously, through very little fault of his own. And then in Green Bay, I don't think he was as good in that game as he was against uh, the Falcons and Lions, mm-hmm. even though they come away with a win. But he was certainly good. You know, they they, they really relied on the on the run game in that in that game. That's just kind of you know how they plan to attack a defense that really struggled stopping the run and going into that game. And then also when they got the run game going, it was obvious to stay with it. I mean, overall, I think he's. I think he'd be. You'd sign up for the, the season that he's had so far before the season began, especially given the circumstances. Yeah, like I think yeah. that definitely has to factor in. The narrative on Carson Wentz would be a lot more positive nationally, especially. Not that it's negative, but I think it would be even more positive. You know, if they at least, they win at least one of those two uh, Falcons or yes Lions games, I think people are looking at two and two and kind of holding that against him a little bit too much when I don't think it should be. Uh, so I'm giving Carson Wentz an A minus. He is on pace for 36 passing touchdowns, eight interceptions. He only has 6.6 yards per attempt, but that's going to come up when you get to Sean back. That's not great. That's <laughs> not great. But part of that, I think, was the game plan, especially yeah. this week. Like they didn't want the, like the Packers have a great pass rush, so that wasn't just about uh, running the ball to 
you know, attack the run defense. Yeah, they wanted to get the ball out early. That's definitely a factor. I think his completion percentage will come up. I mean, he's had to deal with the most drops in the league at this point. So, like, some of these things... For sure, that hurts his YPA, no doubt. Yeah, these these are going to improve as the season goes along. I feel pretty satisfied with Carson Wentz. I definitely think there's room for improvement. I think he's he's left some plays out in the field. But uh, overall, A-, minus, B plus. I think we're uh, in the same territory there. Running back. Go ahead. You go first. This is straight B. I like what I've seen out of Miles Sanders in terms of his ability. But, you know, the fumbles are an issue. I think leaving yards on the field are an issue. I think Jordan Howard has been pretty much everything you honestly could have wanted him to be. Uh, I don't think he's been disappointing by any means. Darren Sproles is still around. He was overutilized too much, which isn't really so much on, on him. Um, but I think he can kind of give this team something as a role player still. Corey Clement hasn't taken an offensive touch yet, so not really factoring him in there. I know Doug Peterson was asked about him today. Uh, so I will give them a B. What about you, Jim? B minus. Okay. I almost went C plus. The reason why is, I mean, the fumbles, he only lost one of them. But that, that fumble killed him. Yeah. That was a big, huge play in, in that game. It was sort of predictable. I mean, like, it was an issue of his coming out of college. And, you know, he didn't barely played in the preseason, so he didn't get a lot of reps where guys were trying to rip the ball out of his hands and you don't have fumbles really in training camp. That kind of flew under the radar a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, things that he had, kind of had to work on. Like, we all kind of took a close look at him during training camp in terms of pass protection. And I think he's actually been pretty good at that so far. Yeah. And catching the football, he's been fine. Like, he's had a couple of nice catches down the field. But for me, those uh, fumbling issues remain a concern, and they hurt him, obviously, in the Lions game. And Howard's been good. I like what I've seen from him so far. So he kind of saves that grade a little bit for me. Be minus. I mean, I was really expecting big things. And maybe this is, uh, maybe my expectations were too high for Miles Sanders, but I mm-hmm. thought he was going to come out and just be really good right off the bat. I mean, we've seen plenty of examples of rookie running backs just step into the NFL and immediately are just really good. I Even thought, this year. <laughs> I thought he had a chance to be one of those guys, and he hasn't been. That was another point Kist was kind of making in this article, too, just that, like, other running backs. Who are uh, the running the backs that, that, I mean, that, that, have, that have been good immediately as rookies this year? Um, well, you have the Madison, that Madison Oh, guy, yeah, right. right? From, um, the, the Vikings yeah, who's really stepped up. Like, we, we had this discussion a little bit about the uh, receivers, the rookie, the rookie receivers that have stepped up immediately because we had this discussion about J.J. Josh Jacobs, uh, Tony Pollard, David Montgomery. And then speaking of the receivers, I guess we can move into that, Jimmy. Yeah, let's go. Hop on in. You can go first this time since I went first with the running backs. D. Yeah. How could he not? It's it's a tough position to grade, I feel like, just because of the, the injuries and like the flux there. Because like you have to factor in Deshaun Jackson, you know, like having an awesome week one. He won them the game. I mean, I don't want to say he won them the game, but he was a uh, – like he was – if you're going to say what player was the biggest effect on this game was Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. So it's hard to like give him an F, you know, after that. Yes, correct. But, um, you know, you look at Aguilar and his negative plays and really brutal, arguably losing two games for them with the fumble. JJ brutal. JJ just He's done you nothing. Zero. Nothing. Nothing. Not even like, you know, that's the thing. That's why. Like people were, uh, people were kind of getting mad when I had tweeted out like his stats and how other rookies behind him were outperforming him. Like I'm not saying JJ's career is over. I, my point here is that he should be doing something. Yes. Like he should not be giving this team nothing at all. Like, that's a, a failure. Like disappointing, a, a massive early failure. for sure, no doubt. I have to, you think you have to go D? <laughs> I think you have to. It's, yeah. it's just not. Give, give him the D. I will go first, I guess, for tight ends. Uh, another kind of tough position to grade. 
I mean, because you look at the Goddard injury, and now he had that drop against the Lions, which was horrible. Um, but then they were so dominant with him. I would give the tight ends a. I would give them. I guess I'll give them just a straight B. Yeah, I'll go B. <laughs> so yeah. I had my. That's what I had in my head as well. God, Goddard's performance in Week Four is well documented by now. By me, yeah. others. Just him as a blocker was incredible. I mean, he only had two catches for 16 yards. I think it was. He had three targets. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of how awesome he was in that game uh, as a blocker. And the two catches that he made were actually big plays because the one was a screen where they, he runs down inside the five-yard line, and then the other one he scored a touchdown on. That was got a lot last year too. Like so many of his receptions are like either first downs or touchdowns. Yes. He's very efficient. He's not like, it's like racking up you know yardage, Sam Bradford style, short of the sticks. Like he's the catches he's making are like impact they're impact plays. plays. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think I have to give them an A plus if I'm including Alex Ellis in there. And <laughs> oh, is that your new? Is that your new guy? Is like your new GJ Kenny? Not really. I just thought it was funny the the fullback thing and how he's been effective. I mean, I like Alex Ellis for what he is. Oh, one more thing. Let me, let me add one more thing too. So okay. Ertz's numbers are down. There's good reason. I mean, because Deshaun's out, Alshon's out. I mean, the Lions made no bones about it. They were just doubling him all day, as they should. Yeah, I mean, because you're you're basically forcing the Eagles to beat you with. Uh, you know Nelson Aguilar and Matt Collins, who can and, who can very much beat the, his own team and JJ. So I think his numbers are going to grow as these guys start coming back from injury. And Goddard will help too. So Goddard will actually help Ertz's numbers, oddly enough. Alshon will help. And then when Deshaun comes back, that'll be a big help for Ertz, clearing up you know, sort of, sort of the short to intermediate middle of the field. I'm fine with the season that Ertz has had so far as well. Yeah, and going to the Goddard point, like a number of Ertz's catches, I think almost all of them, if not all of them, were for first downs against the Green Bay Packers. So like he was again, he was making impact, like chain-moving plays. Getting to the offensive line, I guess we can grade this as a whole, as a unit. Okay. It's a tough one to, because yeah. Isaac Sayamalo was – I mean, that's one of the worst games I've ever seen any player at any position have, <laughs> ever. It's, and I'm Jeez. not – like without any hyperbole, it's really like one of the worst games I've ever seen a player play at that Week 2 game against Atlanta. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like I kind of, you know, made gifts of all the – all the like his worst plays. And I had like – I want to say like I had like 12 – and I cut some things out. Like, I could have easily had, like, 18. <laughs> and just, Jeez. just it was he was horrible to the point where, like, if I were the Eagles, like, if I were Doug Peterson, I'd go to him and I'd be like, like, is everything okay at home? Right. <laughs> like, is there anything going on in your personal life? Was, he was that bad. So how do you factor that in? So I factored in in that he was, like, w- where we said before, who was the biggest reason for, you know, the Eagles winning week one? And we say Deshaun Jackson. And I think the easy answer for... Who would be the biggest reason they lost in week two? For me, it's Isaac Samalo. Okay. He was that bad. And yet, the offensive line was so good against the Packers. That's probably the biggest reason they (laughs) won, right? That's the biggest reason they won that game. To Samalo's credit, he has gotten past that, it seems, and has played Mm -hmm. significantly better, obviously. I don't know how he could play worse, but he's been a legitimate left guard in the NFL since then. So, Mm -hmm. he's been better. The rest of the offensive line has... Kelsey, you know, was I think he started maybe a little bit I don't want to say he started slow because his bad is a lot better than, you know, a lot of other centers best. Mm-hmm. But he's he was really, really good against Green Bay. And I want to say he was good against the Lions too, but I have to go back and look at that. But um he's playing the way that Jason Kelsey plays. Lane Johnson is playing the way that Lane Johnson plays. Brandon Brooks is just being able to play at all week one is incredible. And I think kind of like a, an undercovered story so far this year. 
yeah. the, how he's been able to come back from that Achilles injury. And not only come back, but he's been awesome. Like those QB sneaks, they don't work without him. Comeback player of the year, Brandon Brooks. He'll never get it because he's an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. But he should he should be he should be in the conversation. Well, they won't get it also because he played the full season last year. Usually, those awards go to some player that like was gone True. for the whole year, or they just sucked for whatever reason. So that won't be him. Mm-hmm. There should be some kind of award for him, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, because his recovery from that injury, you know, coming back in the short amount of time that he did, and the way that he's played since he came back. Is nothing short of incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll make the Pro Bowl at the least, especially at this pace. Good for him. So, what did you give them? You didn't even give him a grade. <laughs> and, Pe- and you know what, Peters? Sorry, we should talk about him real quick too. Okay. I think some people are down on Peters. I kind of agree with some people that thought that thought that you know maybe he didn't play really well the first couple weeks, but I think he's been a lot better too. I think people were you know kind of raised an eyebrow a little bit when he had the illness. Mm. And it was out for basically the entirety of the second quarter. What game was that? Was that Atlanta? Too hot. Lions team. It was oh, too Lions. hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was overheating. He did that last year in the Falcons game week one. Like He couldn't finish the game because it was like too hot. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So uh, I kind of agree with the little eyebrow raise there, but uh, he was he was very good against Green Bay. So I'll go I'll go B plus. Yeah, I was gonna say B. I can't I just don't think it could be an A, uh, you know, given how Samalo performed in yes. that one game. But they were just so good against the Packers, so recency bias might be a little B. Yeah, might be a little bit. Probably uh, some of that for me too. Let's go, you know what? You, you changed my mind. I'm going B. B, we'll put it there. I just think they have to be better moving forward. They they have to continue to keep it up. Now, talking about the offense, we'll wrap up on Doug Peterson. Well, wait, yeah. Doug Peterson. Dougie P. I think I'm going to give him a B plus. Okay. The slow starts are still really frustrating. Big issue for this team. The way that I think he has handled adversity, which is, again, I think a trademark of Doug Peterson. Like, one thing you can look at him and point at him. Like, you can you can point to that being, like, a, a proven thing with Doug Peterson. Like, I think a lot of times the coaches, it's hard to, like, exactly, you know, parse who, who, like, who is exactly responsible and to blame for what. But I think one hallmark of this team under Doug Peterson has been their fight, and I give him a lot of credit. I mean, Doug Peterson was awesome in the Packers game. Like, they, that was a big reason why they won. Back, like, when, um, was it, uh, Xavier Rhodes said in the 2018 NFC Championship yeah, they're game. <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh, best compliment the you can get out of us. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think honestly, I would not be surprised if Jari Alexander was saying something similar in the Packers game. I think things can get better. The offense needs to get better overall, but it's it's been a good offense despite like injuries and issues with this. And given that tough circumstance against the Falcons, I'll give Dougie P a B plus. I'm going A minus. Wow. Yeah, I think he's been great. I mean, even beyond the Packers game, which everything you said, I agree with. In that Falcons game. The I mean, the way that they kind of weathered those injuries and he had to change the game plan on the fly. First of all, you throw out almost all – like a huge percentage. Jason Kelsey was talking about this in the locker room where they just throw out a huge number of uh, running plays that they had uh, in their package for that game because Dallas Goddard was going to be out. So he got, mm-hmm. he got asked how big of a deal is, is Dallas Goddard to the run game. He's, you know, you saw Green Bay and – uh, you saw what happened in, in Atlanta where we couldn't run the ball effectively and blah, 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 blah. It's because they, you know, kind of had to change the... And you know what? Maybe, and we'll get to Howie in a little bit, but maybe you don't build... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of refuting myself here, but maybe you don't build a game plan so heavily around a run game 
with two tight end sets Mm -hmm. when you don't have a third tight end on the roster. (laughs) So, you know, you can certainly second guess that, I guess. But, uh, but going back to the resiliency, that, like that kind of thing, those like intangibles that he brings to the table and the way that I think his players play for him and the way that he can get his players to play for him, you know, it's not something that you can point to in terms of like a statistic or anything like that. But yeah. I, I really do believe in Doug that way. And you know what? He's kept his aggressiveness up. He's going for two-point conversions in, in situations that warrant it. He goes fourth for it on down. fourth down when it's warranted. You look at so many other games around the NFL, and it, it's just mind-blowing that they – I mean, you look at what, – what game was it? I think it was uh, Bears-Vikings this week. The Bears have a fourth and three, I think it was. Oh, my God. At the Vikings' 34-yard line, I think it was. Oh, my God. The 34- Four, fourth and three, and he's got the punt team out there. Stupid Zimmer calls a timeout instead of just like instead of just saying thank you, we'll take the ball in this situation. He calls a timeout, and then Matt Nagy thinks better of it, and he goes for it, and they get it. But he was gonna punt. Jeez. Fourth and three on the thirty-four. Are you kidding me? Like, first of all, kick a field goal if like you don't yeah. if you don't want to go for it. There, kick a field goal. Well, we know punt. they love field goals in Chicago. Good lord. Going, they're, they're not going to go for it on fourth and three on the 34. Holy, shit. yeah, I'm not a big naggy guy. No, I'm um, not either. Not at all. Kind of, kind of prod. And I, I'm really not a Zimmer guy, but we're gonna, we'll go way well, off, yeah, we'll get way uh, off who track should be. Yeah. So, anyway, the, the point the point to be made there is when you see all these other games around the around the NFL and the, some of the decision making that goes on there, and it's not all Doug, by the way, who's making these fourth down decisions. It's uh, it's the you know, the guy in the booth talking to him saying, Hey, it makes sense to go here, but hey. Credit him for being the coach that he, the aggressive coach that he is in those situations, because it could be way, way worse with another coach. Yeah, I mean, Doug is humble enough to take that advice, and he's also fearless enough to actually execute yes, on it. So correct. I definitely think you know he deserves credit uh, in those regards. Now, moving on to the defense. Uh oh, <laughs> this is where the grades take a downturn. We're not gonna. We'll, we'll go with defensive end, not just okay. defensive line. Like we did split so it up defensive between the end. two. You can go first. C minus. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, they have what? One sack? Yeah, Barnett has the only sack. The other two are Jernigan and uh Sendejo. That's just not good enough. No matter how you cut it, no matter what pressure uh stats you're looking at, like and some of these games, I remember like week one, I think it was like, you know, Vinnie Curry and Brandon Graham and uh Josh Sweat, like they had all combined for like maybe one or two quarterback hits. Like mm-hmm. they're they're just no matter any way you cut it, like the production just is not there, like it needs to be for this team. I'm gonna go D plus. That's fair. So Barnett had the what? The he had like six hits, six quarterback hits the first two weeks. Yes, he did. So that's good. It's fine. Yeah. You'd prefer them to be hits when the quarterback still has the ball, but he mm-hmm. did affect the quarterback, I guess. And the strip sack was so huge. Like that was a huge play. But he's 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 clearly been their most productive edge rusher so far. This he has. Year. Brandon Graham makes a few big plays per game. Uh, in the run game, has mm-hmm. not done enough as a pass rusher, in my opinion. Although, you know, he did get Agreed. pressure after Blug got hurt against the Packers. I mean, a lot of pressure after Blug got hurt. He's just killing the, the, the tomato can that they put in, in in place of him. And they've gotten nothing from Curry. And they've gotten very little from Sweat. has actually got a little bit of pressure. But on the grand, you know, pair him and Curry to the quote-unquote backups they had at defensive end heading into the season last year. And Chris Long and Michael Bennett. And the difference in production is enormous. I would still like to see some Deshaun Hall, honestly. Yeah, I really would. Because why not? It's like, crazy. I, it's crazy that he's that Jim Schwartz is or whoever is making those decisions. Jim Schwartz is looking at that and going, 
And I got to keep putting Vinny Carey in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and, and Hall played finally against the Packers. I think he had like two snaps. And one of those, he had a nice rush on like, yeah. right away immediately. So, like, just why not? Give him a chance. Just, please, please. Get, I mean, put, put him in on an obvious passing down. Yeah, move, move, why Brian, not? move Brandon Graham inside. So going over to defensive tackle then, you know, Malik Jackson goes down. Not only Malik Jackson, but Timmy Jernigan yep. as well. And that, that's just such a bad luck thing because of the way the Eagles, like, they had really gotten decimated at defensive tackle last year. And some of that was their own fault because they invested in Nada and that wasn't a good idea. He was a jerk too. <laughs> <laughs> he was done. And then Jernigan, obviously, they knew, like, he was not going to be a reliable option for them. So some of that was their own fault last year. This year, though, I mean, they tried to fix it. Like, they bring in Malik Jackson. They re-signed Timmy Jernigan. They trade for Hassan Ridgeway. Like, they made an effort to fix this position, mm-hmm. and it was looking like a it big It looked strength. like they were loaded heading into the season, and then two injuries, and, every- and Fletcher Cox <laughs> isn't the same guy that he was, and they're not. And then you all. cut Trayvon Hester, too. Yep. Bad luck with how that all worked out. Um, yeah, then, but I think the biggest thing there you hit on is just like Cox not being... Because even if all those things happened and Cox was still himself, like you're probably, you know, fine, like... And I just don't think they're they're even fine at that spot now with Cox not being himself. So if I'm grading that position, why am I going to give him anything less than the defensive ends? I'm going to give them a D plus. I'm too. going D plus there as well. Maybe that's even generous. Why am I giving them the plus? Like what has Fletcher Cox done? I guess he's had a couple plays in the backfield. Nothing like you know do- dominant like they. Jernigan him was to okay be. when he was when he was in there. He, he did have a sack. <laughs> One of the only three sacks. Yeah, but just pretty disappointing. Moving on to the linebackers. Linebackers tough to evaluate. For me, a little bit. Nigel Bradham making a pretty big play in this Packers game, although dropping a pick six earlier. You know, it's funny. So, like, we got the assistant coaches. Monday. And, uh, you know, Ken Flajol, the linebackers coach, who's pretty good about just, you know, being honest in his answers. You know, we're talking about Nigel's dropped interception and how he kind of has a penchant for that. Somebody brought up about, you know, he redeems himself. He makes the interception that essentially seals the game. And I'm like, yeah, that one's kind of a gimme. So, Flajol steps in and goes... Was it? <laughs> or, or is it? Is it a gimme with him? <laughs> Got him. Yeah, it's funny. But yeah, he's, 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 his, his hands aren't very good, obviously, mm. as we've seen. He did make the big play. Ask the umbrella guy if his hands are good. Hasn't. <laughs> his hands are not good. We're not good to him. His playmaking. In 2017, there was, a, there was a stretch of that season where he was running around making plays all over the field at times. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really see that at all in 2018. A little bit toward the end of the year, I guess. This year, what do you think? I can't really recall him doing much outside of this Packers game. He was a big storyline in that Packers game. And he did a good job on that interception, by the way. Yeah. His role on that play was to kind of, you know, like, ooga booga booga. Like, get the attention of the uh, <laughs> of the guard. He was trying to get the attention of the guard so that, the like, he was faking a blitz. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to get the, the guard to believe that he was coming on a blitz. And free up, uh, you know, a one-on-one matchup or one-on-one matchups elsewhere on the line. To, uh, he, was, he was supposed to occupy the guard, which he did. And then he drops out of the blitz and Rodgers, you know, throws it, not expecting him to be there. Because I guess he got sort of faked out by that blitz too. And it's a heater and he can't, and it, you know, he just can't handle it. I mean, I don't know how many, I don't know how many people on the planet could catch that pass. <laughs> you know, Aaron Rodgers throwing it as hard as you can and at a close distance. You know, you, you don't make that play. And we all look at that play and go, oh, that's a pick six if you make that play. How many people on the planet can actually say they can make that catch? I can do it. 
pretty confident. Yeah, I'm sure he can. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you, expe- you expect a you expect a professional football player to make that play, and he didn't make it. But you know, he did redeem himself to some degree. Although he go down, Nigel. What are you doing? Yeah, right. Go down. <laughs> He's Jeez. running down the field, and yeah. you can see the guy like trailing behind him. And you're like, uh-huh. oh, that guy's going to take a big swing. Yeah, at the ball a good and angle. On it. Yeah. Uh, so, what, what grade are you giving the linebackers here? I'm going to go lazy C. I would say C minus, just because, like, I, I think it just doesn't matter ultimately. I don't, I Agreed. Don't think it's, it it's not a, it's a not a big role on the Eagles defense. It just isn't. So it's it's hard to um... as much as people want it to be. It's just not that important <laughs> position. Moving to the corners. Uh... <laughs> Man, what grade could I give this group? Does F plus count as a real grade? Sure, you can give him an F plus if you want. I'll give him an F plus. It's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. I'll say F plus for the cornerbacks. I'm not going to go that harsh on him. I'm going to go. Why not? I'm going to go D. The plus for me, by the way, is because Razul Douglas. I think you know he he Rizul's obviously got good. burned in week one, but yeah. the past two weeks here, like, and he's been pretty solid. He certainly has been hasn't been the cornerback who the other defense is like. Hey, look at this guy. We can pick on him like fifty times a game. Like Darby was and Maddox was uh, last week. I'll give Maddox some credit. I mean, he gave us some plays against I like Green Maddox. Bay, but he battled. And I think asking a what is he five nine? You're, you're asking a yeah. five nine slot corner to all of a sudden go, oh we got some guys hurt. You're on the outside now. And mm-hmm. we saw Avante play a lot of different roles as a rookie in 2018, and maybe we're a little spoiled by that now. Because he played safety, he played slot corner, he played outside corner. He played great outside corner in that Rams game last Yes. Week. And then he, but you know, a guy gets hurt and all of a sudden, like Short, Short said in, in one of his interviews, he hasn't played outside corner since like the beginning of training camp. So he's gotten no reps on the outside at all. And then a few guys get get hurt and he's got to go out there and he's got to play. And I thought he battled. I, I mean, I, I he gave up some plays, obviously, but he also made some plays. I wouldn't kill him for the performance that he had that night. High level of difficulty. He could have been better, but it's a high, high level of difficulty what what they're asking him to do. Yeah. I mean, I I like Maddox. I am not one to to rip him. I don't think he's been great this year. No, he hasn't. I agree. He's he's, he's been a little bit of a disappointment, maybe. Because he was looking awesome in the offseason. You thought maybe, okay, this could be a guy who really steps up and be a playmaker and pick up where he was last year. Agreed. But hasn't been quite the case yet. I still have hope for him and his potential, just based on what he's shown. Yeah, but overall, I'm so I'm sticking with F plus for this group. What about you? You said D. Dar- Darby was really bad before he got yeah. hurt. I mean, he's not 100. percent I think Sydney has not been great either. Sydney's not been great either, clearly. And just not only the injury thing, which is an obvious thing. I don't know, man. Like, don't I draft people... the injury guy anymore. Yes, <laughs> you know, like yes. It just, like... That's a big reason why I was so down on that pick, and I think a lot of people. I think you were too, kind of. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were excited about that because they're like, oh, man, you uh, know, this guy top, top 10 pick if he's healthy. Pick if he's healthy, yeah, but he's not that, healthy. And, that... he, and he's not <laughs> anything looking close to anything like a top 15 pick, like nothing like that. The rebuttal to that is, but what about Jalen Smith? And you know what? Jalen Smith is an outstanding example of a guy that was injured and you take him later than he would have gone normally. And now he's a player that, you know, maybe he got it to steal. But Jalen Smiths are pretty few and far between. Like if you look at the quote unquote, it also took them two years. Yes, it took it took them a long time to to get over that injury, and they were patient. They stuck with them, and it paid off. You have to factor that in, and and they also paid him a ton of money too. Yeah, he wasn't uh, an awesome player at a cheap price for a long time. Right, he was he was a really good player for cheap for one year, and then they paid him. But still, you know, he's certainly a success story in terms of drafting the injury guy. But like, there's a long, long list of players that were quote-unquote the injury guy who have not panned out. 
and it's far for more sure. likely that they're not going to pan out than they are. So it looks good on it looks fun, it looks good on paper, and like when you do like a mock draft, like those are fun guys to kind of have in there because you think you're like you know you're getting this big steal, you just got to be patient for a year, mm-hmm. but it just it just doesn't work. Like more often than not, it just doesn't work. It's never really worked for the Eagles either. How many like can, can we think of other guys like Jackie Aguano, Cornelius Ingram? One of those guys that sticks out would be like was it? It's Marshawn Lattimore, right? Or, yes. or Marcus, the the one that isn't the same quarterback. South Carolina, that, the, yeah, the running back. Too. And I think the Niners took him. The Niners drafted like so. The Niners yeah. at one point remember when they were like really good, and you thought they were yeah. going to be contenders for a long when time. When Trent Baalke was there, yeah, they took like three or four guys like that, and, and they all worked out. None of them panned out. Not a single one. They took like three or four of those injury guys. None of them worked out because they had like not only were they like going to be contenders, Super Bowl contenders every year for a while. They were overloaded with draft picks. So it actually kind of made sense for them to do that because they were going into every draft with like 11 picks. So it's like, okay, well, they got a good roster. If you just took a regular healthy guy, it might not make the roster anyway. But they were taking all these in, so they were taking all these injured guys, and none of them worked out. Getting back to something with Sydney that bothered me, not only him getting toasted in coverage, but the, the tackle attempt on the uh, Aaron Jones touchdown run. I believe it was Aaron uh, Jones. Oh, yeah, I didn't see it. He can't wrap him up. Like, Aaron, he just dragged him into the end zone. I, I remember the play, and I remember the second effort by Jones. I didn't know who it was. That's That's been an issue with Sydney's is play strength. Like, it's just not good enough. I'm sure you remember, Jimmy, back in OTAs when Alshon Jeffrey just, like, freaking trucked him. Like, and, it, and they called uh, uh, OPI on Alshon on that play. But, like, still, like, it's not a good look if you're an NFL player and you're just getting like bodied out there on the field. And I think that's something that's happened with Sydney. I, I don't love it. <laughs> and you know what? Like, so like his lack of strength, that's, that's sort of the lesser concern, like the actual play strength on the field. Jim Schwartz talks about, he's talked about this on a couple different occasions, but the one, the one time we really went into it, like, he's like, you know, I've, I've coached some cornerbacks that are, you know, 400 pound benchers, meaning they can bench 400 pounds. And mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're strong in that way. And when you get on the, like when they play on the field, you know, you don't see evidence of that necessarily in their game on the field. But he said what it does do to be like that sort of uh, to have that sort of strength in the weight room is it allows them to play 16 games. Whereas Sidney yes. Jones just doesn't have that kind of strength and he's going to be at a disadvantage in terms of being able to stay healthy. Safeties. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins, I think, has been Malcolm Jenkins. Yep. Uh, he's just a not, he's just a freaking football player. <laughs> like that to sound like <laughs> you know dorky uh, football talk, but the the blocked field goal against Detroit, come on, that's awesome. I mean, it would have been even more awesome if the Eagles actually <laughs> right. won the game and like right. and justified that, you know, because that would have gotten more what a play uh, attention. He's so good. Malcolm Jenkins is huge, hugely important for this team, and a big reason why the team should at some point definitely reward him uh, as i'm sure you'll hear in a bgn radio sports minute on this podcast um, rodney mcleod rodney mcleod i think has been underrated yes honestly he had some big plays in this packers game he breaks up that touchdown to jimmy graham on the fade he blows up that rpo on i think it was third and goal to set up fourth and goal i think rodney has been underrated especially given the expectation of him coming into the season you know coming off this acl slash mcl he suffered last year I think he's been great. Yeah, like guys that suffer serious injuries, like the one he had last year, every year they come back, you know, when their timetable has come to fruition and they're back on the field and they're practicing and whatever, you know, those guys always get asked, you know, how you feeling? Are you back to 100%? Blah, 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 blah. And those guys will always 
100% of the time say, yeah, you know, I feel great, but my knee is totally back. In fact, I think it feels better. And then they get on the field and they're clearly not 100%. Mm-hmm. With Rodney, he looks like he's back to 100%. Yep. He's, I think his speed, is, I mean, he's never like a blazer to begin with. But whatever speed he had before, I think he's regained that fully. I would give the safeties a... Oh, we're not going to talk about Sandeo? Honestly, I don't want to in the sense of, like, I wish we didn't have to talk about him because I wish he wasn't on this team. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, he is, and we do have to talk about this. I mean, he had a huge play in the Packers oh, game. Oh, yeah, big, up big, that. big PBO, sure. Yeah, it's, that saves the Eagles four points right there. But, man, I think the bad clearly has outweighed the good with Andrew Sandejo so far. And especially when you're factoring in that he's going to cost you a fourth-round comp pick if he's on this roster. The big play that he, that he had, the, 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 bad, the, the big bad play anyway that he had was Atlanta, where Darby is – it looks like Darby's beaten on the play by Calvin yes. Ridley on the, on the deep touchdown in the back of the end zone. But if you watch that play, and we talked about this. They're playing quarters on that, right? Yeah. And then he just doesn't drop? Well, he got, he quote unquote. He bites on nothing. The Chip Kelly phrase, he bit the cheese, but there was no cheese. Like there was nothing even there that he was biting up on, but he bit up on something and he was way out of position. And then he realizes the ball's about to go over his head and he's like, "Uh, uh uh-oh. And he tries to recover and run back when he's not even close to to the play when, when Ridley makes that catch. And, you know. What's what's funny is that I think I think we talked about this already, but the tell that with Jim Schwartz on on those kinds of plays is you ask him like should Darby have gotten help on that, and if he has an opportunity to you know sort of uh, save a player that he like he knows where that question is going, like he knows that the question is it's 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 thinly veiled as did Andrew mm-hmm. Sandeo screw that play up, uh-huh. and if he has the opportunity to to sort of stick up for a player. Then he will. If he if the answer is yeah, that player screwed up. His answer is always going to be yeah. You know, you guys know that I'm not going to answer those kinds of questions. You know, <laughs> but you know, it's a dead giveaway that that player screwed up. And I mean, we we, we didn't even need Schwartz to answer that question. He's not good in coverage. It's really the it's really the uh, easy way to put it. I'm going to say I guess B for the safeties. I'm going B. Wow, I guess that's fair. Sandeo really hurts him, I think. Jim Schwartz. I think Jim Schwartz, I think for, for as much as the defense has had some struggles, and I guess I'm kind of going to get into this a little bit more with Howie, uh, I don't think they're so much on Jim Schwartz as they are Howie. I think Jim Schwartz, for as frustrating as he can be, the way he has handled what he has to work with overall, uh, they, I think he was a huge reason why they almost win that Falcons game. I mean, they had three turnovers. Agreed, yeah. And the way uh, like the, the defense really picked it up there. So I know people get frustrated at Swartz. I know people always want Jim Schwartz fired. I am not among those. I look at the Lions game. The, they only gave up, or, or 20, I guess it was 20 in that game. And six of those were off turnovers. Like, I think Schwartz is definitely still, I would classify him as a good defensive coordinator. I think he's top quarter of the league. Yeah, and so I'm going to give him... A B. Rather, the gripes with Schwartz are very nitpicky. And I think he doesn't get enough yes. credit for uh, scheming up plays that the, that the players aren't executing. So we already talked about the Nigel Bradham example before, where he drops, you know, they fake the blitz, he drops in the covers, and Rodgers throws it right to him, he doesn't make the play. He's got the other play this year where they run a zone blitz, and Fletcher Cox drops in the coverage, and they throw it right to him, he doesn't make the play. So, like, he's generating these opportunities to have these huge big play turnovers and the players aren't always executing them. And he doesn't get credit for those because the player didn't make the play. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of that going on, too. But 
I don't think he's above criticism. There are certainly things that you can look at that he does that are that is deserving of of criticism. But I think it, oftentimes it's way over the top and super nitpicky. And I I'm gonna go B plus with with uh, Schwartzy. Wow, people are gonna be mad. I know they you. are. I don't care. Um, Screw you, Howie Roseman. You can go first because I gave first for shorts. Yeah, there's good and bad. I think the uh, old guy strategy needs to go into the shed. It worked that one year in 2017 where they he hit on a lot of low cost older guys, and uh, it's just not working this year. <laughs> like those guys are getting hurt. The ones that aren't getting hurt aren't performing for the most part. Not in love with the free agent acquisitions that he made this offseason. Mm-hmm. But I was going to say, they, they haven't gotten enough out of the draft. I mean, you're, they're only making five picks each of the last two years. And that certainly factors into, you know, how how he strategized that. Mm-hmm. I fear that they're going to, I feel they're going to uh, give up too much for some kind of player. Whether it's, you know, one of the three guys that we already discussed or someone that's not even on the radar uh, at the trade deadline. But, you know, this is a... We actually went into a little bit of detail in this during the last episode about how he did not have a good offseason, in our opinions. Mm -hmm. It's a little harsh because he did win them a Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to go C. I was going to say C-. minus. Okay. What are are the two biggest issues you brought up to me? Secondary? Secondary, yeah. I mean, The issues with those units? They banked on players that that, were coming back from injury or were injury prone. The pass rush. They didn't do enough to ensure that Jim Schwartz could run the scheme the way that he wants to run it. Yeah, and the young guys who are at those positions, it's like Barnett, who I don't think has been bad, but you know, and Sidney Jones and Rizul again. Like you're not getting who's the star? Like where's the star talent yeah. from this bunch? Like they're not hitting on stars with Howie picks specifically. So I'm gonna say C minus. I don't think he's done amazing. I, I would say a little bit below average. So I guess that's why. I'm putting it at C minus. Okay, so that was a super long segment. This podcast is a super long podcast. <laughs> this is going to be a long break. One. Back after this. I'm Jimmy Kempsey with a BGN Radio Minute. In the Eagles' win over the Packers on Thursday night, Eagles safety Andrew Sandeo was criticized for lowering the crown of his helmet and striking teammate Avante Maddox in the head. Maddox was taken off in a stretcher, and snowflakes everywhere criticized Sandeo for recklessly endangering another player. Since when did Philadelphia become such a soft town? This was the city that rightfully cheered when Michael Irvin had his career cut short when he suffered a head injury on the Eagles turf in 1999. Since when do we have to change the diapers of every hurt player and rub Vaseline all over their heinies and tell them that it's special and different from everyone else's? This is football and frankly, if I'm the Eagles, I'm taking the money that OTA skipper Malcolm Jenkins wanted and I'm giving it to Andrew Sandejo. I'm Jimmy Kemsky with this BGN Radio Minute. BGN Sports Radio. We're back here, BGN Radio, episode 83. Brandon Lee Gowton, Jimmy Kemsky here on BGN Radio. Jimmy, finally we have arrived. Um, there really isn't a ton to say about this game in the sense that this is a team, the Eagles, I feel like, Jimmy, I think you'll agree with me, they should just they should just beat up on this team. They really should. Well, I don't think there's people are saying trap game. Like, stop. You don't you don't know <laughs> right. what a trap game means if you're saying this is a trap game. And I hate that phrase. So that no one knows what trap game means. Trap game does not mean that your team plays a bad team and it's automatically like a trap because you're just expected to beat them by a lot. No, there are games in the NFL where good teams play horrible teams and they just beat the crap out of them. Look at the Dolphins this year. Yes. It's not a trap. 
It's just that the Jets are terrible. Their offense is like ranks pretty much last in every category. Sam Darnold is, in my opinion, not going to play. Would you agree with that, Jimmy? Yeah, it doesn't look like he's going to play. Like how how could they? And why? Like you're rushing him to play. He he hasn't been Adam doing Gase conditioning. Is an insane person, so I can understand them rushing him to play, or I can understand that they will do that. And I think we discussed this on the last pod, but that yeah. spleen with you mono, can it can be, you know, it can be enlarged, and then if he takes a hit on it, it can rupture. And you can die from that. So, yeah. like, they got to be really careful. He hasn't been cleared for contact yet. I mean, we're all, as, as you know, you and I cover the Eagles and fans or fans of the team, we have been beaten to death by the phrase cleared for contact, you know, all last off season with Carson Wentz. Yeah. He has not been cleared for contact yet. And, and he probably Wednesday. won't be. Yeah, it, exactly. Even if he does play, how good is he going to be? And we're, first of all, we're not talking about Aaron Rodgers here. Like, right. well, how, how all of a sudden is Sam Darnold like this, uh, you know, scary quarterback to face? It doesn't matter if he plays or not. Who cares? They had 16 points in week one when what? he started against a good Bills defense, but still. One of them was a defensive touchdown, too, by the way. They, they, have, oh, one, okay. they have one offensive touchdown this year, the Jets. One offensive touchdown. And another thing with the uh, the quarterback situation is, like, with the uncertainty that Darnold might not be able to go, like, they have to prepare Luke Falk to start. Right, like so, it's not even like Darnold is taking the full, you know, workload of reps and practice this week. Correct, like he is he's not a hundred percent capacity at all. And again, um, from what I was hearing and reading and seeing, like Darnold wasn't conditioning when he's been away, you know, since he's had mono, and this is the first week he's been, you know, getting back into actually throwing a football. So like again. Like uh, he's not going to be at a hundred percent. I feel like even if he did play in the unlikely, unlikely event. So for as bad as this Eagles defense is, and They're I get facing it, like the if, right team to be yeah. banged up right now for sure. And I get it's concerning because like you have a gimpy Sidney Jones, you have uh, Orlando Scandrick, you have Craig James, <laughs> and then Rizul out there. Like, it's not a great group. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like those guys are good enough to get by this kind of Luke Falk led offense. Yeah, like when this when this line came out, and I saw it was fourteen, I'm like, oh, that's a little rich. Like, you know, just but I always look at it from the Eagles' perspective. Like the Eagles aren't that. Like I'm like the Eagles haven't shown enough to be fourteen point favorites over anyone. And then when I started looking harder at this Jets team, I'm like, wow, that's a bargain. <laughs> like I think yeah. the line should be higher. Actually, I mean, this, this Jets team is is straight offensively anyway. Defense is defense isn't good either, but. At it's least, at least average. They I have think. some good players. Like Jamal Adams yeah. is really good. CJ Mosley might not play, but he's. He, a good I don't player. think he's going to play. And uh, they'll get Quinn and Williams back. It looks like extremely talented player, but mm-hmm. only played a little bit in Week One and then got hurt. But this offense, the quarterback is obviously. Uh, I mean, you're talking about an undrafted guy who's a couple years ago who's on his third team, and you know was a third quarterback behind Darnold and Trevor. Do you see that Trevor Simeon injury? By the way. Week two? No. It's disgusting. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I try to avoid seeing those. And I saw that one by accident, and it was gross. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, and he hasn't been good in the two games that he did play in. I mean, they had the, – their the, the total yards in those two games is – I think it's under 400, or it's right around there. So they're He's ever- passed for just under 300 in two games. And Le'Veon Bell has done nothing. Their yeah. offensive line – is horrible it's Mm. it's awful if the eagles can't get pressure against this offensive line there's a huge i mean we already we already think there's a problem it is a huge problem if they can't get anything against this against this crap i mean falk has taken seven sacks so far okay 
and Bell is averaging under three yards a carry. Two point nine. Yep. They should and just against, they, uh, they should just smash uh, this team. They should smash them. They should, they be, should they smash should be, them. They should beat this team by like four touchdowns. It should be. They should. They should cover. I'm not saying they, they will, should, but they should. They should cover the spread definitely. Um, at the very least, the Jets' leading tight end right now is Ryan Griffin, who has four receptions for 15 yards because Herndon is suspended. Oh, okay. Like, and like their leading receiver is Jamison Crowder, who you know I think he did some it's nice fine. things in Washington, yeah, but like yeah, nice when he's receiver. your best receiver, <laughs> I don't think he's their best receiver. He's, I, well, mean, I mean, he's the most productive receiver, receiver right yeah. now. Right. But, but I mean, you know, Luke Falk isn't getting Robbie Anderson deep balls. Yeah, and obviously, when you know, like that's one of the biggest, only might be the only thing you have to worry about yes. with that offense is like don't get beat deep, like literally allow Ryan Griffin or James Crowder to do whatever they want underneath. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just don't get beat up top by Robbie Anderson, and you're fine. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely think uh, the Eagles. Like I, I feel like for. I feel like their offense could have some slow moments. Just in the, like, we've seen them start slow. They're not going to have Deshaun probably this week. The Jets' run defense isn't bad. They're I think sixth mm-hmm. in opponent yards per attempt. Um, so I don't think it's just like the Eagles are going to you know cut through the Jets' defense like a hot knife through butter necessarily the whole game. But I think they're going to have enough possessions on offense because of the Jets' offense won't be on the field. And honestly, I mean you know the Eagles could score some defensive points in this game uh, with how bad that Jets' offense is going to be. Where I think this one is really cut and dry. I is there like, any kind of path to victory for the Jets? Yeah, that's the that's the thing. So I guess that looks like like Quinn and Williams coming in and wrecking Samalo like <laughs> like okay. Grady Jarrett did, and um, some kind of it would have to be some kind of like defensive slash special team touchdown for the Jets. They have three the Jets, of them this the year. They have those. They that's have, they have a pick six by uh, pick six by CJ Mosley week one. Yep. Who's not going to play this week? They had a garbage punt, re- muffed punt touchdown against against the Patriots. Patriots were up mm-hmm. thirty to nothing at the time. And they the, they had some scrub back there fielding punts, and he muffed it, and Jets jumped on it for a touchdown. And then uh, they had a pick six, even even later in that game, by Jamal Adams when Tom Brady was already out of the game. <laughs> so they have three defensive touchdowns, but really only one of them mattered. That was the one week one against the Bills. Uh, a couple closing notes on this Jets matchup here. Uh, their, their kicker thing is an issue too. Sam Ficken has not, former Penn State alumnus, uh, Sam Ficken has not attempted a kick for them yet. But in his career, in the regular season, he is two for three. And he had a miss from uh, the 30 to 39 range. And he is four out of five on extra point attempts. We saw the Jets have kicker issues in the preseason when they were playing the Eagles. So... I mean, even if this game somehow does come close, you know, maybe their kicker uh, blows it. Uh, a couple more stats I wanted to read for you, Jimmy. Going deep was, with the kicker analysis there. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I got to bring it in. So, uh, Sam Ficken is notable for something else. What did he do? Didn't he? Uh, well, did, wasn't he like he went to Penn State? Didn't he? Yeah, he went to Penn State. Uh, he was. I said that, Jimmy. You're not oh, listening. Sorry, to my me. bad. That's uh, fine. Uh, he was with the Rams. I mean, he like bit. made he missed a like a lot of kicks for them, if I recall. I think so. I'm not a Penn State guy myself. We got to get uh, Lombardo on the phone. <laughs> yes. Can I read these Jets stats? You go right ahead, my Jimmy. friend. Uh, the Eagles are 10-0 and in 10 all-time games against the Jets. So I just think that's a little interesting in the sense that uh, I knew some Jets fans growing up. And they would always give me crap uh, as an Eagles fan growing up. You know, telling me how the Eagles never won a Super Bowl. But now that the Eagles have won a Super Bowl and that they and the Jets have never beaten Wait, the Eagles. Wait, Jets like, fans were... 
riding you about no Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, those was, was what, up. like the 60s? Come on. No, I'm not quite that old. No, 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 no. I mean, the Jets Super Bowl was in like the 60s. Right. Point being, Eagles fans have, they can take, there. there's no room to take any crap from Jets fans. Um, <laughs> right. Adam Gase is 13 and 24 in his last 37 games as head coach. Mm. Uh, the Jets are two and seven on the road since the start of 2018. Okay, and uh, that's it. Yeah, I don't think we really need to go much further than they're just okay. a terrible team. So, I don't know. I, like, look, th- this Jets team sucks. I think anyone trying to get worried about a trap game or anything is psyching themselves out way too much. And I think this one's cut and dry. I think the Eagles will win this game by multiple scores. Carson Wentz is going to continue to look good. The defense will be able to hold on against this underpowered Jets offense. The Eagles win. They advance to three and two, and all of a sudden they're in a pretty, pretty decent spot after given where they were a couple weeks ago. Eagles thirty-eight, Jets thirteen. I didn't even get my score. So go right ahead. I don't have. Um, any, I don't think. I don't have anything more to add than that. Than I was going to say thirty-one to six. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so we have we have the same margin of victory then. So they definitely cover. Should be a convincing one. Should be a if it if all goes according to uh, as it should. It should be a relatively stress free Sunday. Of course, the Eagles it's will. Not, it, we we both know that's not going to happen. Always find a way <laughs> to make it more stressful than they should. But uh, this has been BGN Radio episode eighty three. I have been Brandon Legion. This has been Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice. Make sure you continue to subscribe to the Weeding Green Nation podcast feed and check out our other episodes: the Kiss and Solak Show, the Babes on Broad. Everything else we have coming up, we should have, if I am not mistaken, a special new show coming up in the near future. So stay tuned for that, dropping potentially as soon as next week. So very exciting things happening here at Bleeding Green Nation and BGN Radio. We will talk to you next time. Good day. BGN.